0: This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. Today I'm your host, Kara Shamborski, here with two turtles who walked through a puddle of radioactive sludge, Danny Martinez,
1: Kawabunga,
2: dude,
0: and Kate Scotchless. Hello! <laughs> so we got a great topic for our show today. As you can tell, we've got an unusual lineup because our great overlord, Mike, got a flight cancellation. He's enjoying the sweet summer of success of travel for everybody going on and uh our usual uh stand-in extra special host paul is celebrating his birthday all month long <laughs> and is unavailable <laughs> for comment at As this time he should. it's As the, he should. the summer of paul summer
1: of paul we <laughs> call it here
0: <laughs> so we got a great topic for you guys today we're going to talk about anthropomorphic animals in comics dot 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 this is not a furry show But if that's your bag, that's just fine. You can go enjoy your Sonic the Hedgehog comics. We will be over here talking (laughs) about additional anthropomorphic animal comics. But before we get into it, uh, we do want to remind you that on August 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern, we are having an I Read Comic Books podcast Discord hangout. So definitely join us for that. And uh, before we get into the show, we're going to get into our favorite legally mandated question. How are you, and how have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate.
2: I have been good. I have done a bunch of reading for the show's topic, That I so I will not get into that, all of my fun animal comics. But I also finished Nice House on the Lake, Volume 1. Oh my god, this book is so good. Speaking of Paul, he is my hero for recommending it and making me read it for the show. Uh, this is the book by James Tinian, Alvaro Martinez Bueno, um, who did cover art uh arts and inks and Jordi belire who did colors so, beautiful fascinating so creepy so creepy in the best way um i did go ahead and get the first three volumes of something against killing the children out of the library to try and ca- stop myself from like purchasing the issues of the volume two that because volume two isn't out for a while because it's you know ongoing uh, and I'm like, no, 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 you can't start buying singles of this. You have to wait. You have to wait. So I'm cr- trying to like curtail my need by reading Something that's Killing the Children, which is another creepy Tinian mystery that I've heard is good. So fingers crossed, this uh, scratches that itch.
1: If, if you run out of that, you can start Department of Truth, which is another Tinian book. So just keep that in your list.
2: I read volume one because of Mike and that one is very good and volume two of that is on hoopla so that is actually a very good recommendation that i should follow because yes the library is where it's at and where we need to stay (laughs) uh because moving is so expensive friends it is so expensive holy crap uh crazy i know right Uh, Between that and my cat has an ear infection that we've now treated twice and it keeps coming back. So it was time to do the expensive expensive testing to see exactly what is growing in her petri dish of an ear. And I spent all the money on this kitty, but hopefully it tells us what exactly she needs to feel better.
0: Your list of um, Tinian books is like a list of books for me to avoid because I read... (laughs) i read mimetic a million years ago Mm -hmm. and i keep talking about it because it's been like i like i read it when it first came out and i haven't read it since but i still it's like burned into my brain because it made me want to throw up because that's how creepy it was so whenever i see him writing something now i'm just like nope hard pass thank you
2: yeah, I that's one of those books that I have because of a Humble Bundle of like, you know how you unintentionally accrue like a hoarder's pile of digital comics because of Humble Bundle. It's one of those ones that's sat there for years and years and years because of that.
0: I mean, it's good, but well, it escalates quickly, like, okay, very quickly.
2: <laughs> how about you guys? Well,
0: I would like to talk about a comic that I didn't read. <laughs> because it's garbage uh, and i know that we 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 try to um keep things just focused on things that we like on this show sometimes it's good to drag <laughs> a really worthy opponent um so one of my favorite movies ever is mad max fury road and it's it i realized the other day that it had been a while since i rewatched it and i had recently heard about the um kind of like the making of book that like explains how the movie like almost didn't get made that came out recently and so I was like okay well I have to rewatch the movie before I get the book out from the library so let's do this and while watching the movie which is great and if you haven't seen it for some reason please prioritize it <laughs> like right now it just made me think about that horrible horrible prequel comic that DC put out about Furiosa where her backstory is that she was raped and and it was just so poorly done and so gross and such lazy storytelling. Like, I didn't feel like I needed a Furiosa backstory. Like, she's basically the main character of Mad Max Fury Road and she's helping a group of women escape their patriarchal oppressor. And so to have her backstory be so, like, directly and grossly tied up and all that just skeeved me out so much. So, watching the movie, I was just like, God damn it, you had such a good thing. And then you had to go and just say you know what'll make this better sexual assault (laughs) like like we already know it's there it's already implied we don't need to get into it more guys yeah um but what i did read as a total palate cleanser and kind of related to our topic today is dc league of super pets the great mix up by heath corson with art by bobby timoni and it's I, I'm pretty sure this is just like because of the new Super Pets movie that came out. And DC was like, well, guys, we have comic books, too. <laughs> you should read them. So it's the Super Pets versus Mr. Mixies Pitalik, which they do include the pronunciation in the comic book, just in case you're unsure of how to say something that's all consonants. So this is one of Superman's uh greatest and most hilarious foes depending on the story so Mr. Mixia's Pitalik is a an imp from the fifth dimension who likes popping in and causing chaos like very I think he's from the same dimension as Batmite so like that kind of wackiness and so we are introduced to this this graphic novel clearly written for children but also delightful as an adult if you want if you wish comic books could be fun again. Because I feel like with a lot of superhero comics, I read that I'm just like, ah, you're trying to tell a serious story. Good for you. But I'm not entertained. <laughs> and this was very entertaining. Like, each of the Justice League members has a pet with superpowers that, like, accompanies them on missions. And some of them make sense. Like, you know, we have Ace the Bat Hound and Crypto the Superdog, which hilariously, Crypto the Superdog wears glasses, when Clark Kent is wearing glasses. And Batman's like, Superman, why, why is this? And he's like, Well, the glasses work for me. So if Crypto's wearing them, people won't realize he's Crypto the Super Duck. Like, great comic book logic. Love it. Um, Wonder Woman has a pig that the pig's powers, it could change size. So like Wonder Woman's riding the pig around, or like the pig grows really big and then like drops on top of a bad guy. And it's like, if I was a kid I would be dying with laughter over all of this like and the pig is so sweet too it just keeps being like look Wonder Woman look how much fun we're having so the animals are speaking their animal language and can't communicate with the humans and the humans think like oh look at my cute little pet and the animals are like we can smell Lex Luthor from six blocks away let's go and they're like oh you want walkies (laughs) it's just like that kind of that kind of humor and uh then the plot picks up when mr mixius pitilic appears and turns the uh justice league into animals and suddenly they can communicate with their pets and they have to work together to stop the bad guy but it's like super cute it like again clearly for kids but i enjoyed it as an adult uh, i think one of my favorite jokes was that flash's pet is a turtle <laughs> and when he gets and when flash gets turned into an animal he gets turned into a rabbit <laughs> and i was like ah, we're doing a tortoise and the hair thing okay okay and i am not counting this comic towards our theme because although the animals can talk to each other they are very clearly like animals not like some of them are wearing like elements of their owner's costumes but they're not like dressed like humans or in like human houses as animals yeah. as some of the other stuff that we'll be talking about and we'll we'll get into our theme more later but while i was reading this i was very resolute and like no this doesn't count for the theme i can talk about this too <laughs> how about you danny what did you read
1: well i just want to say if you like that comic i think you'll really enjoy the movie i had a really good time uh oh, yeah? watching the league of super pets yeah it's <laughs> it's a lot of fun uh sounds like this comic uh, happens after that so i need to go chase this down a sequel. Because you're right, the animals are hilarious. the the, the Flash having a turtle that can't see, uh, oh, that has to wear glasses, is amazing. So yeah, I love it. Um, but I've been well. Uh, I'm glad to see. Um, first of all, I'm glad to be here uh, during this my my first official episode. Yeah, welcome. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, we in my contract I put in that I don't. Let's make sure to not have any episodes with Mike. So I'm ah. glad that we're starting off <laughs> strong. I'm just kidding there's no contract uh but uh yeah no and comics have been great I mean I read it was really hard to narrow things down to one or two because I read so much stuff throughout the week just an insane amount of things that some are good some are bad some I just don't talk about them after I read them because you know there's no point in dwelling on it but secret shame
2: uh, secret shame I have secret shame reads. <laughs> it's
1: not so much. Yeah, it's not that. It's just that, like, if I don't like a comic, I don't. I rather not talk about it because yeah. I don't want people to think like, oh, maybe I should go read that. Or if that was somebody, so like somebody liked that book a lot, like I don't want to stomp on it and be like, right. yeah, that book was not good. And they're like, oh, that was my favorite book, like you know. And so to avoid those kinds of things.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Uh, but I did read some cool stuff. Uh, first of all, I read uh, Moon Knight Volume Two, uh, Too Tough to Die. Uh, by Jed McKay, with art by Alessandro Capuccio and Federico Sabatini, colors by Rachel, Rachel uh, Rosenberg, and letters by Corey Petit. Uh, so this is a continuation of the ongoing, the most, the most recent Moon Knight, uh, and Moon Knight is facing the impossible when he tries to... Uh, there's some assassins that have infiltrated his midnight mission that he set up in his neighborhood because that's all he wants to do now, make sure that the people in his neighborhood have a safe place to go, which is it doesn't sound very Moon Knight from the stuff I have read before, but I'm glad they're kind of moving in this direction.
0: Well, I mean, um, his whole deal is that he's a, he's charged with protecting travelers of the night. So that's actually probably the most effective thing he could be doing as a superhero.
1: Yeah. Yep. Uh and, and the book has like vampires and stuff, which is cool because can Moon Knight work with a vampire? Who knows? You know, so stuff like that. Um, it's so really vampire like Morbius. That, uh, it's not. It's a different. These are newly turned vampires from Volume 1, which is crazy because, like, they, they, never, they didn't choose to be vampires, but now they are. So, like, can Moon Knight help them? So that that's an... It was a nice twist on, like, yeah, Moon Knight's just going to stomp out the vampires because, you know, that's what Kanshu has not do. So I really I really like it. I like Jed McKay's writing a lot. So this was, a, like, no question I was going to read this. And they introduced a, a new villain called Zodiac, because, of course, uh, and yeah, he's been putting him through the ringer. So I- I'm really excited for whatever's happening next. But this volume was really fun. The art is beautiful. Like uh, both Capuccio and Sabatini just like they have this really cool loose dynamic style that really fits with like especially with the cape and the, the suit. Or when Mister Knight shows up, like it all looks very slick. So I really, really like it.
0: Danny, would you say that this is a good comic for people who have watched the show and want to read more Moon Knight to do, or do they need to jump in at a different spot?
1: No, I think starting at if you want to start from the number one from Jim McKay, I think this is a great uh, not a, not really continuation from the show, but definitely you can see the some of the parallels of like, okay, this is what else Mark can do and all that. So. Mm-hmm. I also read just real quick, uh, Batman One Dark Knight uh, issues one, two, and three from DC Black Label. This is the book by Jock. Jock is one of my favorite cover artists. He's like when he does interiors, I get very excited because you don't get to see it a lot. Uh, and now that he's writing this book, like uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the movie Sixteen Blocks, where they have to get from like one side of the city to the other one. That's what this book is like. They just Batman has to get this um, uh, this villain to Blackgate. But there's a blackout in the city. All the gangs are after this one villain. And
0: Batman
1: has to protect them.
0: Yeah, This sounds great. This sounds like uh, I, I recently watched, I think it's called 21 Bridges. It was that Chadwick Boseman movie where they're like, we have to shut down the entire island of Manhattan to get the one bad guy. And as somebody who grew up like 30 minutes away from New York City, I'm like, literally, this would never happen. This is the dumbest film premise. And then I watched it and I was like this is compelling storytelling yes it would never happen but it's fun to think about Yep,
1: yeah, yeah so this is this is just that and it's like it's in the summer in gotham so it's hot and there's a blackout so there's no electricity anywhere and people are going crazy uh and and all this like all these shadows and and all that really works for jock's uh, art style because it's all very like shadowy and also very painterly um especially when he goes in the sewers like it, when batman goes in the sewers and jock is drawing it it's insane like there should not be any, like other artists should stay away from the sewers. If jock just put out a book. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it and I'm sure it's going to be a beautiful collection because DC black Label's been doing some really nice hard covers, which is why I, I tried not to buy the singles anymore, uh, but these, I wanted the individual covers.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's like the kind of thing where I'm like glad that the big two, whenever they try something a little bit new, like that to make it be like, look, guys, you don't need to be reading the 50 comic books that took place before this in order to enjoy this story with the character that you enjoy.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's the the strength of the Black Label is that it's all out of continuity. Usually, they're just like one and done stories, so like you can just jump in and not have to buy like 20, you know, 20 volumes prior to, <laughs> or like no Infinite Crisis to worry about. None of that.
0: But if you're into that kind of thing you can subscribe to our Patreon and join Paul for his deep dive into Grant Morrison's entire Batman run, a better Batmobile, which I think we've all, we've all done an episode of that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you do want to read all of the comics, you can do that on our uh, additional shows. But uh, let's talk about what comic books we're reading next. What's on the top of your pile. New comics come out on Wednesdays and uh, in our, uh, discord chat for our live show that takes place on sundays we've got jeff saying he's reading drops of god volume four which is a manga all about wine and is part of a comiXology unlimited and uh kindle prime reading so if you've got one of those and would like to learn about wine while reading a comic book you could definitely check out drops of god uh danny what are you reading next
1: uh, well uh true to my brand I'm reading the Marvel summer event uh X uh, Judgment Day that's Avengers X-Men and Eternals Judgment Day number 2 uh right. by <laughs> yeah it's I love I love the title already cuz it's like no it's not it's usually like A versus B this is A versus B versus C like we have to get more people involved in the mess
0: I saw Axe Judgment, and I thought you were going to say there was a new Axe Cop comic book out that I needed to know about. This is very different.
1: Yeah, not yet, not yet. But this is by Karen Gillan and Valerie Shitty, so, like, really beautiful art. Karen Gillan has been some really wicked stuff with, uh, no pun intended, uh, some really wicked stuff with the event and just all the buildup to the event. Um, so highly, highly recommend. If you like those big um, blockbuster summer events from Marvel, uh, this is one you don't want to miss because the premise of this is, like, the Eternals, their whole purpose, if you watch the movie or read the comics before, they have to remove the, the excess deviations, the deviants. Uh, and now that the X-Men are immortal, they just like, oh, I guess they fall into that category. I think we need to now get rid of the or the mutants. We need to get rid Perfect. of mutants. <laughs> yes. So, like, it all, it all kind of, it's moving in that direction. Um, The funniest part is that the Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes are just kind of there, caught in the middle of it because they're like, I don't know, like, who do we who do we uh, who do we side with? So, yeah, it's really, really interesting.
0: I hope Um, they play it up as a farce. (laughs) Like, it's (laughs) this is definitely sounding like one of the comics in the grand tradition of because of reasons, your favorite heroes have to fight each other.
2: Yeah. Yeah. uh...
1: it, it's weird because the Eternals are also immortal because they can just kind of come back over and over. So like, how does, how do we get to the end of a fight if both teams can just kind of keep coming back? So, yeah. Uh, but, but the first issue was just like, it, I don't know. It felt like kind of blew my mind as I was reading. It. I was like, Oh man, they're really going hard on this. Like, and yeah, of course they could retcon everything in the future, but I'm, I'm kind of enjoying the ride while, while I'm going
0: on it. So. All right. Kate, what about you? What's next on your pile?
2: Well, I like to, you know, walk, march to the beat of my own drummer. You know, like I like to be, uh, go against the crowd, not one one to go with the stream. You know, the popular things are just not for me. So I was thinking of picking up Sandman Volume 1 um, <laughs> because I heard that this uh, little-known under-the-radar show came out uh, recently, and I – so jokes aside, I read Volume 1 and 2 many, many years ago and was meaning to actually reread volume one before the show came out, but then life happened, you know how it goes. And so I am still intending to read this. I'm probably going to read this after the show today, actually. Um, So the first volume is Preludes and Nocturnes, and it was uh, the first eight issues that came out um, from Vertigo when this was originally published by obviously Neil Gaiman with illustrations by Sam Keith, Mike, Durgenberg um, and Malcolm Jones three colored by Robbie Bush and lettered by Todd Klein. Um, I remember really liking volume one and being more grossed out by volume two, but I don't think I could tell you the exact plot, like detail. It's been long enough. But basically I remember like his mask gets stolen and he has to like regain his or helmet or something like that, that has his powers. But i Just think it'd be fun to read it before watching the show. Um, And it's strange that when I went to get this from my library, it was already checked out because you'd think these little known books at this time, (laughs) especially would be available. So luckily this is available on all sorts of uh, digital platforms for free. So I can just right now I'm going to get it on the DC comics app, but have you guys read this series at all? I never,
0: I never read it because uh, enough like older dudes, said it was their favorite oh
2: yeah that'll be a turnoff for sure (laughs) generally
0: when older dudes tell me a comic book is their favorite i'm like oh like i got a lot of that for watchmen like you have to read watchmen and like watchmen is undeniably great but it's also like really gross really but um so sandman i was just kind of like oh put that in that category but now that i uh know more about um neil gaiman's work like i'm willing to give it a shot and yeah. he's been doing like the press rounds recently talking about the show because he's very involved with it. Mm-hmm. And the things that he says about it make me actually interested in this very popular series for the first time, like ever. Um, one of one of the things I like, he gave an interview to the New York times magazine. And um, something I really liked about that interview is the, the interviewer was asking him like, Hey, you know, like, what what do we do if like science cracks dreams and like why we have dreams and what the meaning of our dreams really is and he was like well i don't i don't want that because then i can't do my job like my job is to make stuff up like i can't do that if we have the answers like it's the same reason i wouldn't want to know like there's proof of god or something like that like i i while i have the he was basically like while i have my imagination I could make these characters whoever I want them to be. But once we have facts, I have to pay attention to those. So no, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would like the mystery.
2: <laughs> I really like Neil Gaiman's novels. I've read a bunch of his books. Um, so I've read way more of his prose than I have of his uh, comics. Like, oh. I think I've read all of his short story collections at this point, And most of his novels. I have not read uh, Anastasia Boys yet. I think that's the only one I'm missing
1: i've read i've read a bunch of salmon but it's kind of been scattered uh the one i remember the most is volume four uh seasons of the mist which i always call season of the witch because of the song (laughs) uh but that's like the one where you finally get uh it's got a big thing to do with hell and lucifer and constantine so like that one's the one i remember the most Mm -hmm. um i did watch the first episode of the show i really liked it but i want to pace myself because i don't want to run through 10 episodes uh, and then not have anything else to watch as good as Aww. that. So, but but I think as I was watching it, I was remembering the stuff like, oh, I've I've read this stuff before. Like it's just it's all kind of a big messy. thing yeah. In my head, it's just blurry, like all over the place. So mm-hmm.
0: much like dreams. So I guess that yeah. works.
1: Yeah, I love it. So. I love the imagery too. Uh, it's so cool, and the art in, in all the Sandman books, like, yeah, I can't believe they got so many like artists that just really nailed. The the dreamscape and all that.
2: How about you, Kara? What have you read, uh, or what are you next, going to read? Rather, what am I going to read? All right. So a
0: bunch of months ago, uh, this show recommended daily report about my witch senpai by Maka Machida <laughs> And um, after you know waiting to see if it would pop up at the library and realizing that would not happen, I then waited for a Barnes and Noble sale. <laughs> And I finally have a copy of Daily Report about my witch senpai, which is billed as a sweet workplace romance, except the the senpai or like mentor boss figure is a witch. And I, and I really enjoyed that on like the back cover where they have like the summary of the story. It's like the guy who like works with this witch is just like, oh, she just. She's just doing too much to help people. She's gotta put herself first and I'm just like, okay, I'm I'm here for this positive narrative. Um, so it just looks delightful and charming and like I'm, I'm definitely in a moment where I want my comic books to be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this feels like it's going to be uh, a very fun book. So, uh, we are going to take a short break and then get into our show topic. This is not a furry podcast. Our favorite animals and anthropomorphized characters in comics. And we're back to the I Read Comic Books podcast show. Today's topic. What are our favorite animals and anthropomorphized characters in comics? What are our favorite animal based comics? So we're gonna start off by talking about what actually fits into this category because we've been uh, we've been chatting about this in our little group text for uh, for a, a couple weeks now trying to figure out what do we actually talk about because there are, when you think about it, there are so many, animal characters in comic books so what fits this specific like anthropomorphized animal definition what do you think kate
2: i mean the thing that came to mind immediately were books like the dam keeper where literally all the characters are humans in animal bodies basically where it's like you know mr scary's world where um and usually that means that they're the character the personality traits are somehow tied to the character, what type of animal the character is. But then, like you said, you get start stretching it a little more. I'm like, okay, what about comics where there's mostly humans, but there's a few sentient animals? And what about comics like Fable, where which is basically the same thing, but like mostly you're in human form, but you're also a wolf, you know, like stuff like that. So it did. Um, once I started thinking about it. Got more and more into like, oh, this actually encompasses a lot of different books, because then it's like, well,
0: if you're, for example, the character that you're referencing in fables, who's the big bad wolf, but is also mm-hmm. a cop, it's like, okay, well, does that make you a shapeshifter then, as opposed mm-hmm. to an anthropomorphized animal? Yeah, Danny, what was your take on this?
1: Um, I was trying to focus on like, okay, how do we define this, and like, what, what, plus, you know, trying to add, what do I want to read? And I try to focus on characters that are animals, but also have like a job or a profession or a career <laughs> or like a hobby. Like no like, deadbeat
2: animals. That's right. You
1: know, human stuff. <laughs> you know, make something of yourself, be useful to society. Uh, but <laughs> also, you have to wear human clothes. Uh, that was also that was another one of my check marks. Or uh, but. But yeah, I think I think mainly, and once we kind of start talking about all the all the things I, I read for this, uh, you'll see the definitely that kind of pattern of like, oh, this is they, this could have been people, I guess, for most of these stories, but they're not. We kind of chose to tell them with animal based characters. Um, but I'm su- I'm surprised to look at you guys' list as well because I I don't know some some of that stuff kind of fell outside of my purview. So I'm interested to talk about how we got there.
0: Yeah, I kind of fell into the if it's basically a person except it's an animal that that fits into this category like if you have people clothes and people houses and are walking upright and doing people things mm-hmm. like generally that's that's kind of where i fell yeah with this category yeah. um but that said i was shocked at myself for again we were we were chatting about this in our grip text about like what it does this topic even mean I, it didn't even occur to me to include the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which might be like the most anthropomorphized animal because they are animals that have
2: human-ish bodies, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, not to mention all the manga animals that have like boobs, which is really weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we needed them to have extra mammary glands. Mm-hmm. Oh if they g- don't have human sex characteristics, how do we know what gender they are?
1: Uh, that's a big question for the podcast, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> terrible. But I mean animals have been used in in storytelling basically since the dawn of time. Like you look at all the like all oh, these um gods across different religions that have some kind of like and like a human with animal characteristics or features or um things like aesop's fables where Mm -hmm. animals themselves take on human traits and storytelling narratives so at first i was thinking like oh yeah animals in comics so unique and i thought about it for about five seconds and i was just like no we use animals in all our storytelling (laughs) because it's
2: fun it's fun and it's easy shorthand for the you know the clever fox and the (laughs) sly snake and the you know yeah, I was thinking
0: about it. I was like, dang, you can really go back to like Genesis in the Bible, and that snake yeah. is straight up talking to Eve and saying, yeah. Yo, you should eat this apple. This is a good apple. The, the Sorry, Greeks also me, use that fruit. a lot. <laughs> yeah,
1: the yeah. Greeks also use that a lot. You know, the Minotaur like comes to mind immediately, like um and so a lot of animals, like Cersei was the queen of turning people into animal or animal hybrids.
0: Yeah. With while uh Going on this comic book reading journey to explore the world of these anthropomorphized animals, um, what animals did you, did you like notice any common themes with animals that you were drawn to in particular? Because I know for me, it's mice, like all the, like the first books that I thought of immediately, I was like, Mouse Guard, Mice Templar, that other one that I can't remember. <laughs> Mouse Guard.
2: Mouse,
1: (laughs) uh, yeah, I I noticed. I mean, there, I think there was a distinction between what I'm drawn to and then what everyone, like all these creators, seem to be focused on. Uh, for especially from all the stuff that I read, I saw a big through line of like people love rabbits, like we just want rabbits to be humans. And I, I don't, I don't know what it is, but all the stuff I read had an anthropomorphized rabbit, uh, and there were. For the most part, uh, the good the good guy, um, which I can see that I love rabbits. They seem pretty chill, uh, you know. Unless you're Bugs Bunny, then you you get a little mischievous. But other than that, like I've never met an evil rabbit.
2: <laughs> yeah, i noticed a theme with mice and bears. And then I intentionally, after reading *Beast Stars* Volume One, thanks to uh, Danny, <laughs> went looking for another uh, wolf main character and read *Fables*, which I will say, before reading it, I thought it was going to have a bunch of anthropomorphized animal characters in it, and It turned out to have almost none. <laughs> which, whoops, there's basically the little pig who keeps like running away from the farm upstate and like crashing on his couch, and then there's. Uh, Big B, who like once shifts into a wolf. So ultimately, uh, not a lot of wolf action there, but still was a good. You notice when you read a bunch of these, the like consistency between how the animals are depicted, like in both Fables and Beastars, the main character that's a wolf had is like a loner and kind of gritty and like can sense things and knows things that others aren't picking up on and stuff like that. Um, which is interesting, especially because these uh, authors are from completely different cultures. Yeah. So, um, I You're, think that kind of goes towards that universality, like shorthand of using animal characters.
0: Your uh, description of those two characters just made me think. Oh, so he's the bad boy in a young adult fantasy romance. Book.
2: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it it is. Um, Oh shoot! It's Edward and Team he- Jacob. There we go. Jacob.
1: It is Jacob. He also wolf. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes.
2: Um,
1: um,
0: can I tell perfect. you guys that I don't I don't normally dream about fictional characters. I definitely had a dream about Jacob last night. He was on a motorcycle. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so can you guys please explain B stars to me? Because you keep dropping really, really questionable panels into our chat and I I just what are you what are you reading why did you do this to yourselves
2: yeah Danny explain yourself So,
1: <laughs> as I was preparing for this I was reading you know I pulled up some uh I pulled up some uh I guess what I would call more classic comics uh to read but then I was like I want to read something off you know off the bean pad maybe a manga or something like that uh and I remember Beastars was one of the things there was another one called uh it's called BNA I forget what it stands for uh but 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 that one's not it's it's an anime but i don't think it's a manga or the manga wasn't available either way oh yeah brand new animal thanks brian uh brian with us in the chat but yeah uh so i was trying to read both of those uh and i only found b stars uh so i just bought volume one uh volume one is written by uh written and drawn by paru itagaki itagaki um and it really focuses on like this uh school for uh, students who are all animals, either herbivores or carnivores, uh, and kind of the conflict between them, especially because at the beginning of this, uh, uh, I guess, school year, one of the kids from drama club, who all all our main characters and are, are in drama club, uh, one of the herbivores got eaten by a by a carnivore. So everyone thinks it's our main character, the wolf, uh, Lagoshi, uh, but I feel I feel like. Uh I really like this because I feel like they're kinda inverting that trope of like I think the wolf is not the bad dude in this one. Like even though he has all the characteristics and that's how everyone perceives him, uh he doesn't want to be that. Uh so I really, really enjoyed that. And that's kind of why I kept talking about it in the chat. And I'm glad uh I'm glad at least I got Kate to go back and read that. Uh but it definitely goes to some places I was not ready for, uh, especially knowing that these are high school students in a drama club. <laughs>
2: Uh I think it, you're you sold me on it when you said it was what did you say? It was Mean Girls Meets, uh
0: Ugly and uh and Zootopia.
2: And Zootopia. Yeah. Yep. I was like shit, now I gotta read it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, Kate, what did you think now that you've uh in, you've explored this world?
2: Um I think so when you refer to me screening all these screenshots the phrase that comes to mind is uncomfortably sexual um <laughs> there is especially at the end where legoshi like captures a dwarf rabbit student and uh-huh. he's just talking about how small and warm and how much he wants to consume her and like but in a very creepy sexual way I'm like mm, don't like it but there's mm-hmm. also fun stuff where there's like just stuff sprinkled through, like, in kind of the backgrounds of scenes where there's, like, signs for the different students, like, types of students. So there's one scene where they're talking in um, Lagoshi's dorm room, and you can see two signs. Um, one of them says, if your fur gets wet in the rain, deodorize before entering. And the that... other is, like, commitment means sweeping up each other's fur for life. Yes. <laughs> and there's just, like, stuff like that throughout the book made it good for me versus uh i wasn't that into i was definitely not into the weird parts um but also overall the story it it kind of wanders it like you start off with the student getting eaten but then mm. it very quickly stops being like the who done it kind of thing and turns into more just like mean girls drama so like
1: yeah it feels like they kind of moved on from the murder like not too quickly because they kind of keep talking about it but but like they that's a common thing that sometimes happens in that society and Mm -hmm. carnivores sometimes eat herbivores and just be careful next time
0: you go outside guys this is starting to sound like riverdale
2: yeah they set up a shrine at the like spot inside the school where their classmate was consumed by another student yeah (laughs) yeah but there's also this like just mean girl drama of like there's one scene where the dwarf rabbit gets like um, basically assaulted uh, by a harlequin rabbit student who says, Listen to me and listen good. He and I are both harlequin rabbits and we're an endangered species. We're a lot more valuable than you will ever be. Wow. The comic dwarf rabbit has a lot of nerve breaking up a yeah. purebred couple. And I'm just like, What the fuck? Wow. Is this? They're, yeah. both, they're both in like schoolgirl uniforms and you're just yeah. like
1: what oh oh no they, they they bully one of the weasels out of their role in the play and they make him do like stage work because uh he was supposed to take over the role of the the student who passed away uh, but instead like the, the the main uh the president of the club who's the, the big stag like like no i'll do it and then you're banished off to like stage work with everyone else Uh, So he's, like, super upset, but you can't really stand up to the club president because there's a hierarchy. Uh, Like, if you've read any other manga from, like, high school stuff, like, you know there's a hierarchy of, like, student council and all that stuff that you don't want to start poking the bear, no pun intended. (laughs) Uh, But, and, uh, yeah, Kate just posted a picture in the chat. (laughs) The, The mangaka is so good at creating that uneasiness, like, with the art, where it's, like, these really dark backgrounds and they really zoom in on like the snout and the eyes and it's like oh my god as i was reading it too i was like oh this is this is uh weird but but i do want to keep reading after the first volume because it ends in a really fun place i think
0: i guess um, you have to admire the total commitment to the the concept like you real like this this these creators really just went for it
2: <laughs> yeah i like the the, the dorms like everyone in the same dorm room has to belong to the same taxonomic family. And that's like an important plot point that like (laughs) all, all the Canadian male students are in the same room. So it's like a Labrador retriever, a fennec fox, an old English sheepdog, a coyote, a spotted Hyena, and then our wolf, gray wolf, Lugoshi. And it's like, that's like a key aspect of this school is that who your roommates are, are your taxonomic family. Uh, wow yeah (laughs) that's all i gotta say (laughs) so i I think we
1: started on a high note with this (laughs)
2: okay
0: well i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot a little bit and talk about one of my little mice mice books um i had a i had a thing like a few years ago where i realized that there were several like fantasy adventure books starring characters that were that were mice Um, comic books in particular so i was like why mice is it because they're so vulnerable and we as humans see ourselves as vulnerable mice in a big bad world where we can't actually control anything that happens to us And i was like all right well that's a little deep but let's talk about mouse guard (laughs) mouse guard is um a series by david peterson and i really like it like if you want a good like fall vibes book You could do much worse than the first book in this series, um, which takes place during that season. Um, And so the Mouse Guard are these little medieval-ish mice, and they're actually mice-sized in, like, the actual world. So when they're, like, traveling, they're going through, like, grass and amongst tree roots, and their villains are, like, a snake that tries to get them, or, like, a giant crab that looks giant to them, but is just, like, a normal-sized crab. So the mouse guard protects mice travelers going from little mice village to little mice village. So I put them very firmly in this anthropomorphized, um category. I I just noticed I've been pronouncing that word anthrop- anthropomorphic anthropomorphize like slightly differently every time I've said it. So one I of them has noticed. to be right. <laughs> one yeah. of them has to be right. So I'm these just, little yeah.
1: mice. <laughs> I hope slightly... I say it at least at least correct once in the whole episode. That's yeah. the
0: goal. <laughs> we'll always pick vocab words we know how to say. So these little mice in the mice guard have like little traveling cloaks and little swords. They they basically look like hobbits except for their mice. And uh, what's it? What I find interesting about um, the villains in the series is that you you don't really like have the mice talking to the other animals. It's kind of like the mice are in their little mouse world doing their little mice travely things. And then there's external threats that they have to face. But it's very sweet. It's definitely um, an all-ages book series. I think there's, like, four volumes in the main series. And then there's, like, three, like, Legends Mm -hmm. volumes. But I really like the art style. It's... um, it's very sweet and uh but like not cutesy. And the the color palette um tends to be like a little more muted. So it's just like a you know, aside from the fact that these little mice with tiny swords are like trying to stab enormous snakes and stuff, like it's actually a very soothing read just because of like how the art plays out.
2: Yeah. Um It's a beautiful so that was, book. Yeah, you
0: know, totally gorgeous. So that was definitely like the top of um the top of of books that immediately came to my mind when we were going to be talking about this topic yeah i
1: remember reading this a little while back i didn't reread it for the show but i remember reading it and i was like oh this is just like mouseketeers doing other adventures <laughs> so uh, like, that's immediately what i thought of so i'm like i'm in like you know let's go check this out but i definitely do think i need to go maybe revisit some of these stories because they sound, I mean, just from what I remember, I was like, I like this first volume, but I never continue reading because it was, I don't think there was as much out or there wasn't like a big hiatus at the time when I was, when I finally read that. So, mm-hmm.
0: well, uh, Danny, you kind of dove in head first with possibly the most anthropomorphic of anthropomorphic animal books when you read, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Usagi Yojimbo, which,
1: <laughs> yeah um i i picked this book because i i as i was trying to put some of those together uh i know there's there's rules right we can't talk about this stuff forever so i was mm-hmm. like i can't choose between tmnt and yusagi like you're not gonna make me choose so they must have had a crossover at some point like just knowing their history and then the animated stuff like they've had crossovers uh so i did find one uh, by stan sakai who like who better, to give us a story about them, about both of them. Uh, so it's just called TMNT uh, slash Yusagi. That does their big crossover. And overall, the story is very simple. And apparently it's not their first crossover. I wasn't able to find the first one that they had before.
0: Well, Danny, why did why did this make sense to you as a crossover? Like, for our listeners who are not familiar with either property, somehow, <laughs> can you give a brief synopsis? Yeah, yeah,
1: of course. Uh, so Yusagi Jimbo, he's a, a, a ronin samurai rabbit. Uh, so he goes on missions, protects the town uh, and fights uh, yokai who are like kind of demons in, in, you know, in that world. Uh, and then we have our Teenage Mutant Turtles who are, uh, who have been to Japan. If you watch the third movie, a samurai. <laughs> uh, but that's all you need to know about that movie. But yeah, it, it just kind of makes sense because I feel like they also, they've been around forever too. So it's been, it's it, it almost feels like their, their comic book publishing in real life mirrors almost a little bit like their themes and obviously the uh they've been around for so long that they were bound to to do a crossover so i just i just really wanted to dive into both of them because i like i really like both
0: so how did they fall into this this category so you got yusaki Ojimbo as the rabbit we've got the turtles as the turtles is yusaki Ojimbo like is is the rabbit niffs ever explained like the turtles we have an origin story for like they are turtles that have been like mutated into humanoid figures but what what do we know about the rabbit
1: so everyone in that world of isagi like they're all animals of some kind so usually like yeah the there's like big pigs and and uh and like most of the villains are like um not wolves but just like canine like that uh and and the snakes of course because the snakes have to be the villains uh so they they were definitely uh stensakai definitely stuck to a lot of those those traits where, like, yeah, we know that wolves and snakes are the bad guys, so the rabbit has to be the hero of the story. Uh, But they're all, I mean, they never address, like, why they're animals. They're just animals. Whereas in the story that I read, uh, they're actually, (laughs) apparently, uh, uh, one one of the masters for Yusagi, he has Yusagi gather four regular turtles, and then he summons the ninja turtles with magic. But he uh-huh. summoned some of the. He summoned uh, a group of turtles that they've never met before, so from like another dimension, as opposed to the ones they have worked with in the past. It is that that part was very confusing because I never read the first crossover, <laughs> but I, I just kind of went with it. I'm like, sure, whatever. These are, I mean, I know who each one of them are. Right, it's really easy to tell the turtles apart, uh, especially when the book's in color. Um, so I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna ask too many questions because this is a rapid samurai and for Ninja Turtles. So. <laughs> I'm just going to go with it.
0: Kate, you read a you read a book that had a rabbit in it too, right?
2: Um, I read a couple things. So I besides Beastars having a rabbit obviously, um the Iron or the War After, um that's the, it's all one title, um by SM Fadari is like is all anthropomorphic animals Um, beautiful watercolors. I read this by complete accident um, when I went to my first Comic-Con and I went to one of those stalls that's people selling a bunch of used graphic novels and stuff. So I managed to get this for like two bucks and it's a nice hardcover and it was a little worn. Like it had clearly been like it was used, but the pages were all like pristine and everything. So the premise is there's like an intelligent spy from the resistance is a rabbit named Harden. And he steals secret information from a military base of the regime. And his actions set off this chain of events that then causes reverberations through the ranks on both sides of this war. And you're looking at how it affects all these different characters and who who's a traitor, who's a spy. So it's like this really intense story that is also very beautiful in animals, but it makes you feel like, oh, it should be like, Warm and fuzzy, but it is not. It is definitely like a war story. So there's there was that one. But the the main thing I read other than Beastars and Fables was actually Phoebe and Her Unicorn, which I heard about via TikTok, uh like uh-huh. book talk. And it's a daily children's comic strip by American cartoonist Dana Simpson. Um originally it was called Heavenly Nostrils and debuted as a web comic in 2012 on go comics which is a website and Mm -hmm. it later became a newspaper strip and over 100 newspapers in 2015 under the current name and it is it is basically kelvin and Hobbes for girls Uh it is so cute it is so cute so everyone's a human except the unicorn but the unicorn is uh like i I feel like after reading this i'm like it probably doesn't fit her thing because it's not really anthropomorphic because she's just a unicorn and unicorns are just magic and intelligent and can talk but uh-huh. I can't not talk about it. It's so cute. So the our main little heroine is a little nine-year-old girl named Phoebe Howell, who, when she's skipping rocks across the pond, accidentally hits a unicorn in the face with a rock. <laughs> this is oh, how they no. meet. And this is actually a good thing because it turns out when unicorns see their own reflection, they get trapped gazing at how beautiful they are. And so it actually frees this unicorn from the trap of her own reflection in the pond. And Then Unicorn's name is Marigold Heavenly Nostrils. And she gives Uh her one wish for saving her. And the wish Phoebe uh, wishes for is that the unicorn becomes her best friend. Oh, wholesome. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's very much like Calvin and Hobbes where there is like an ongoing story, but it is also not an ongoing story, you know, where it's a daily strip. And a lot of them are just little blips. Um, But now you can read these in collected volumes. So I read the just the very first one. And one of the things that I find so found so charming as I was reading it, I got this out of my library and it was one of the most heavily damaged books in the youth graphic novel section, where you can see that this pink sparkly cover book uh, has just been manhandled by a million little sticky eight year old fingers. (laughs) And it's just delightful, just like the Babysitter Club novels and all the Raina Telgemeier books are just like the most beat up graphic novels in the junior in the kids section. Uh, so clearly this is popular and mm-hmm. um, but it's very sweet. They do all sorts of things together and uh, just like Kelvin and Hobbes, where they're like on their adventures and just like Kelvin and Hobbes, like other people can't see and hear the unicorn in a way because, but in this one it's like, Oh, cause there's magic that keeps people from seeing and realizing the awesomeness of unicorns and stuff like that. But she's mm-hmm. very like, princessy prima donna-y and it's just it's fun it's sweet it's a good it, when you need a palate cleanser and it's available which is hard because it's so popular if you're like me you'll have to put it on hold <laughs> then this is a fun one you can also just go to the webcomic still though it is just available online
0: i'm definitely going to be reading this i was um the the horse girl who mm-hmm. wasn't actually ever around horses so i just read mm-hmm. everything that i could get my hands on that was about horses and or unicorns and yep. i just like loved all the unicorn narratives about like well they, i feel like especially in in uh, the 80s and 90s which was ended up being a lot of the the written material that i read a lot of authors were really leaning hard into the whole like well unicorns really like girls like unicorns only appear to little girls. Like mm-hmm. if you're a little girl, you too could be special and a unicorn mm-hmm. could appear to you. And um, you know, and then uh, I, I think the first time that I saw like unicorns can interact with boys also was in the Harry Potter series, actually. Like oh, yeah. the Yeah, like the gang meets unicorns and um the care of magical creatures teachers like well they do prefer girls but like yeah. i guess the boys could touch them too and you're like okay
2: <laughs> that's funny i didn't like, even think about that i think that's the first time i saw that too
0: yeah and I'm like of course there's all like this the iconography of unicorns wrapped up in the whole like purity thing yeah and so like only a virgin could find a unicorn but like you know it, it was nice to have something where it was like Oh, like something about being a girl that's special. I could find mm-hmm.
2: a unicorn. <laughs> like... Do you so, remember Rainbow Bright's horse uh, that I think was like the peak of my my horse girl little 8-year-oldness? <laughs> with the rainbow mane and tail?
0: I mean, once you have a rainbow mane and tail, I mean that for me is the Lisa Frank unicorn interpretation <laughs> with like the two unicorns like jumping over the moon. Um, all about that and then of course the the animated film version of the last unicorn which the yeah. older I got and the more I watched that the more I'm like wow this this was really built as a children's movie this this film with lots of boobs
2: yeah. <laughs> is built
0: as a children's film. okay
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Brian <laughs> wants to know what Danny's horse girl experience was like growing up
1: well, my unicorns had a sword coming out instead of a horn because it was cool and there was chains all over the place because uh, that's what little boys like apparently i don't know um i like unicorns too i'm just gonna throw that out there i think it's cool to have a horn Uh a magical horn, nonetheless. So. I was going to
2: say, horses think- are amazing. What's better than a horse? A magical horse. A magical oh, my God. Horse. If you want to just really blow my eight-year-old mind, make it a unicorn with Pegasus wings? Yes. Fuck. I was just oh, gonna man. Make Fuck. oh <laughs>
0: man. Like She-Ra's horse. Yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> Exactly. oh
0: man yeah no this is um this is now the uh the i like unicorns podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just gonna do a hard pivot mid-show uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about one of my favorite comic books y'all um one of my favorite comic books that i definitely tell everyone to read i don't know if i've actually convinced anybody to read it yet but you should it's called wild's end Written by Dan. Oh, that's Abnett. a really
2: good one. Yeah. Thank you. Illustrated
0: by J Colbard. And basically, it's War of the Worlds, but with animals. Yeah. Who wear people clothes and live in people's houses. And the aesthetic is 1930s Britain. And. Okay.
2: You have to read Iron or The War After. If you like that one, you have to read Iron.
0: I will add it to my list. But I'm just saying, like, if, like, you know, Wild's End is really like, if you have. Even the faintest knowledge about H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, mm-hmm. you're going to read this and be like, This is War of the Worlds. And you're right, but why do you care? Like, it's a really cute book. <laughs> the animals are in lovely tweed suits. One of them's a rabbit. <laughs> Keeping with our theme. Um, but I just really like the art style in this. Like, the lines are pretty clean. The way that, you know, a lot of the action takes place at night and the Aliens that land have kind of like, you know, again, it's basically war of the worlds. So they've got like long, spindly legs, and um, like the top of them is like these glowing lanterns. And um, I, I don't know. I really like when when colorists can do a a great job demonstrating, you know, luminosity. You know, the kind of the opposite of what Danny was talking about earlier, talking about how Jock does really well with shadow. I really like when light as a visual element is like very clearly present and you look at something. And even though it's a flat comic book image, you're like, Oh, it's glowing. And I felt like a lot of that while reading wilds End. and there's all these just really, really beautiful, like royal blue tones to make uh, the different gradients of night. So it's just like, yeah, like we all know the plot already, basically, except this time it's animals. But for me, it's really the the color palette and kind of the aesthetics of the whole thing that appeal to me about that
1: well i just borrowed uh volume one from comixology unlimited so i will let you know what i think because it does look great i like dan abnett stories um so i'm fully on board with this
2: yeah did you guys ever read the autumn lands tooth and claw from I,
0: Image. i bought it because you told me to and i haven't read it yet but it is On my pile, I could add that up to the top of my pile list. I have a copy
2: now.
1: No, I have not heard of that one. That was uh, a title that is new to me.
2: Okay, do a quick pitch. Yeah, so um, writer is Kurt Busiek, and artists are Benjamin Dewey and Jordi Belair. And it's basically a high fantasy series where, in this society where everyone's animals and they're wearing clothes, so I feel like it's hitting our key uh, metrics they, their world is in peril. And so all of these wizards, uh, reach through time to bring back a legendary hero and everyone's like, what kind of animal it's going to be? Oh, is it going to be a lion? It's going to be like, everyone thinks it's going to be one of them. And then something unexpected happens and I cannot spoil it for you. Dun, but dun, dun. Uh, so the, in this shattered besieged city, this is this uh, legendary heroes, their only hope of survival and possibly the whole world's like what's going to happen. I will say it didn't go for that long. There's only two volumes. So it, it ran from 2015 to 2017. I feel like that's
0: the case of so many good image books and stuff yeah. from Boom Studios, too, where you're just like, this was so yeah. good. And then it got canceled. Yeah. Or like... F- f- That could be a whole show. I was uh, just about to go off (laughs) on a tangent about from under mountains that I was like, nope,
2: we'll be here all day. Yeah, I really like in this one, the costuming is very like high fantasy. So not only are they wearing clothes, but they're wearing like really intricate, like cultural uh, designs that go with their different cultures of these different animals. And it's very the the Mm -hmm. art is very good.
0: I would like to uh, talk about my my final pick for this show. Which was another one where it's like I couldn't believe it was the first thing wasn't the first thing that came to my mind like I, I was slow on the uptake about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then it took me like a good week to come up with the Donald Duck comic books and the Scrooge McDuck comic books specifically the ones by Carl Barks because that's now a soapbox I'll never leave. So um, Disney did uh, a prolific amount of comic books in the mid 20th century. And actually their comic book uh, publishing unit is still like really going strong and is very popular in um, Europe, I think more so than the United States, but uh, some of the uh, most like fleshed out world building of the Disney characters has been the Donald Duck comics because basically donald duck and the duck family tree they're all people but they happen to look like ducks like i think the most like aside from the fact that they don't wear pants like they're all wearing people clothes they're living in people houses scrooge mcduck has that big like pool full of gold coins to dive into (laughs) like it's basically like a fantasy people series um one and, and you know I've, I've talked about those those books on the show before but what I really like about them is that they are just like great adventure stories um, I, so the, the
2: only the only comics I ever actually had as a child so I got into reading comics as I do now much later when I was already in my 20s and the only comics I owned as a child and read uh were Disney comics and they were all specifically like one shots teaching you something so like I had a a comic that was about like Mickey and Goofy and those guys going to a recycling plant and learning all about recycling and uh-huh. some other ones along those lines that were all like kind of teaching you, but I read them a bunch of times. I, I like them, but they did you were... learn
0: lessons about recycling.
2: I did learn about recycling and how important it is to save our planet. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, so the, and the Disney characters um, actually have an interesting, like, coda to our what what uh, counts as an anthropomorphic animal book because you have Goofy who is a dog wearing people clothes, walking upright like a people, living in a people house and then you have Pluto, also a dog very much acting like a dog not interacting with the other characters leash, collar, everything so So weird cognitive dissonance (laughs) it never struck me as strange as a child yeah Now, when you think about it, you're like, oh,
2: I have further questions. It wasn't until
1: Goofy got his own movie that I was like, wait a
2: minute. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Goofy movie was great.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Um, Any last thoughts on our our topic?
1: I have one more uh, to move from Disney to Warner, back to Warner Brothers. Okay. Um, (laughs) I read uh, Captain Carrot and the Final Arc because I love... I just love the fact that Captain Carrot exists in the zoo crew. Mm-hmm. Um, this w- this is by... Um, I'm sorry,
2: did you say zoo crew?
1: The zoo, zoo crew, crew. <laughs> that's, that's his group, yes. Uh, this uh, this book is by Bill Morrison with pencils by Scott Shaw, inks by Al Gordon. Uh, this was actually a countdown tie-in, which I was not aware of until I was like in the middle of the book. But because of the premise, I just kind of kept reading it. Uh, Captain Carrot reunites the team to face a threat at San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I am in. Um, to give you a quick introduction if you, for the listeners that don't know what, if you don't know what the, that is, uh, Captain Carrot is pretty much, they have kind of their own Justice League in their world. Uh, so you have Captain Carrot, Pig Iron, Ali uh Fastback, Rubber Duck, Yankee <laughs> Poodle, Little Cheese, and the American Eagle. Those are the main members of the crew. Love it. Um, and yeah, I just really like this because it's this book is full of puns. Like, DC, there's somebody who makes a joke. Like, remember that DC stands for Detective Chip Comics? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Captain Carrot's identity is, um, he's the editor of that. He's the main editor of DC Comics. Uh, he's a rabbit that kind of looks like the Nesquake rabbit, which is interesting. Uh, Mm -hmm. So when he eats a carrot, he turns into like this giant rabbit that looks more like Superman. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just love that the book is full of puns. The story is pretty straightforward because like animals attack and then the the League has to reunite. Um, But it also deals with like the the publishing companies in the middle of this lawsuit where they can't publish Justice League comics anymore. Because Warner Brothers from another dimension is suing them. (laughs) <laughs> and it just, it really resonated with all the Warner Brothers stuff that's going on in the real world. And I'm like, oh, my God, even mm. the comics can't, give, can't get their licensing. Um, so, yeah, this this was really fun. I love, I just love seeing them all dressed up in their costumes. And, and they pick really interesting animals. Like, one of them is a pig. Obviously, we have Fast Duck as the, I mean, uh, Rubber Duck is a duck. Uh, the Eagle kind of has a, a Homelander outfit, which I found really interesting. Uh if if you know about the boys and Homelander and his whole thing. Uh but yeah, I really like this book and I just I, I feel like this was the other one I was like, so rabbits are just like the main good guy in everything.
0: Yeah, I definitely went into this thinking that it was gonna be mice, but I think we've proved with the majority of our discourse that rabbits are actually the key anthropomorphized <laughs> animal. Um I'm so glad that you picked Captain Carrot because I don't think I ever actually read this original run about those characters, but I feel like DC had a moment when they were really just like, we want our readers to become so aware of all the corners of our back catalog we're gonna bring back everybody as part of our weird crossover multiverse events and you will care about captain carrot and the zoo crew and we will make the wonder twins dark and gritty and we will they just i felt like there was this moment where it was like you had to know about captain carrot at the zoo crew even if you were unaware beforehand yeah, you have to
1: continue. He was just in the Justice League Incarnate book that led, to, led up to this whole Dark Crisis. So no. even if you're a carnator, yes. He <laughs> no duty. Captain Carrot was an integral part of this new Justice League to save the multiverse. And and I love it. I love that like they, they keep bringing these characters back because it's like, Oh, these are all just like, you know, heroes and then there's a giant rabbit next to you.
0: I mean, there was a there was a giant rabbit i'm gonna this is the last one i swear and then we'll wrap up but there was a rabbit in the original star wars comics from marvel called jackson and he was a bounty hunter and
1: he... <laughs> he's my favorite like uh, legends character that has not been brought back uh, officially
0: i'm sure it's just a matter of time
1: <laughs> give me a live action jackson uh you cowards at disney you
0: cowards like Andor's fine but what we really want is the Jackson prequel. Yeah. Oh man. Well, uh Danny and Kate, thanks so much for uh joining me for this raucous and deep topic. I feel like we could keep going, but um we're going to we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh thank you all to all our listeners for for joining us for everybody in the chat. Uh join us next week for uh Mike Brian and Tia chatting about Comics and whatever other nonsense comes to mind. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Danny is at Echo Spider. Kara is at Kara S. Sam. You could follow the show at IRCB Podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok.
1: This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for our exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more join at patreon.com slash Podcast.
2: if you haven't already please rate and review our show five stars on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts because we deserve it we brought you this hot hot content
1: (laughs) join the ircb discord community to chat comics and more Uh, plus you can listen to Our episode's live as we record every week. Check the link to our Discord in the show notes.
2: Podcasts grow best when spread by word of mouth, so why not tell your friends, family, and local comic shop about IRCB? Infinity Shred
0: is the best. They do our wonderful music. Uh, We pray to thee, oh great Xander, to make our crops bountiful and our podcast sound good. (laughs) We decided that Xander the editor is now... God so we'll uh, just take that blasphemy on our backs Uh, thank you to all our wonderful listeners and our patrons until next time comics are good and so are you